Welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Murphy. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to bring you up to date in current literature and expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders so that together we can get to the root cause of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Kevin Boyd is a board-certified pediatric dentist practicing in Chicago. He is also an attending instructor in the residency training program in pediatric dentistry at Lori Children's Hospital, where he additionally serves as a dental consultant to the Sleep Medicine Service. Prior to completing his dental degree from Loyola University Chicago College of Dentistry in 1986, he obtained an advanced degree in human nutrition from Michigan State University, where his research interests were focused on unhealthy eating, dental caries, obesity, and diabetes. Kevin attended the University of Iowa for his postgraduate residency training, where he received a certificate in pediatric dentistry in 1988. Dr. Boyd has served on the teaching faculties of the University of Illinois College of Dentistry, the University of Michigan's College of Dentistry, the University of Chicago Hospital, Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center, and Michael Reese Hospital as an attending clinical instructor. His clinical focus is centered upon prevention of oral and systemic disease through promotion of healthy breathing and eating. His primary research interest is in the area of infant early childhood feeding practices and how they impact palatal facial development, nasal respiratory competence, and neurocognitive development. He is currently a visiting scholar at University of Pennsylvania doing research in the areas of anthropology and orthodontics. He has recently appointed as an adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Arkansas. All right. Good morning, Dr. Boyd. I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. So welcome and thanks for taking the time to come and chat with me. Yeah, I really um, am looking forward to speaking with you. Uh, This is quite an honor. So um, thanks for asking me. Absolutely. Now, I want to just get into things because I know everybody listening to this podcast already knows who you are and how fabulous you are and everybody wants to learn from you. Um, So let's talk a little bit first about Obviously, you're a pediatric dentist, but how did you get into treating the even earlier population when it comes to airway disorders and expansion, like those two, three, four-year-olds? Um, I trained, my pediatric dentistry training was at the University of Iowa in the um, mid-late 1980s, and that program was actually known um, for being very aggressive uh, with uh intercepting interceptive orthodontics they called it or you know phase one which means treating before eight years old wow that's really aggressive that's considered a geriatric patient to me now but back then um 
it would, our ortho department and pedo departments at Iowa were like oil and water. They really didn't like each other. Um, but I was able to take my supplementics and growth and development um, training in the orthodontic department there with uh, Samir Bashara, who's a very famous uh, orthodontist, and he was wonderful. Um, so that's what started me. And then it just, uh, I got recruited to um, the sleep medicine service at it was then Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago, where I practiced. It's now called Lurie Children's Hospital. And Dr. Stephen Sheldon is a very well-known pediatric um, sleep medicine doctor. And uh, he he's a pediatrician. He's a neurologist. He just uh, and he was very um, frustrated that the medical residents, the pediatric, you know, pediatricians that were in training, you know, in training to be pediatricians and the, the staff pediatricians weren't really paying any attention to a kid's uh, sleep hygiene. And it's like, well, most of the symptoms are above the neck. So why don't we try dentistry? Mm -hmm. So he recruited uh, three different, I was one of the three dentists he recruited. And he took us to St. Louis University and trained us intensely in sleep medicine assessment over the three-day weekend. And um, that was 12 years ago. And we've since published together. We've lectured together, Dr. Sheldon and I. And um, the circle's gotten much more broad in Chicago. It's a huge network now. Now, how do you combat the belief that, because I know for a lot of myofunctional therapists out there, when they don't have a provider like yourself in their area, you know, and they're working with this age population and they know that they need expansion, right? Because why would we wait if we're already seeing symptoms now? Um, but how do you combat the belief that you have to wait to place an expander until those six, six-year molars come in? Yeah, and what that is predicated on is the orthodontics, uh, the orthodontist comfort level. They don't get any behavior guidance training in their mm -hmm. residency training. And that's something that's going to be addressed at the end of July in Chicago at the ADA's, uh, I think, fifth symposium on pediatric airway health, um, is the behavior guidance. I'm a pediatric dentist, and, and it's really a vital part of pediatric dental training in the in the United States. Mm -hmm. The curriculum guidelines specifically say that we have to um, have so many hours of clinical uh, training opportunities in managing anxiety in kids and their parents. And um, we have to study didactic, you know, theory about behavior guidance and child development and uh, child psychology. Orthodontists don't get any of that. And the implication is, well, why would you need to be trained uh, to treat something that you're not supposed to treat until they're older? Uh, and again, we, we really um, are working on getting that and making a paradigm shift uh, in that. So that's that's the problem. So how do you deal with it? What do you say? And, you know, what I say to parents is if they've come from somewhere that said, wait till they have more permanent teeth, which often will happen. But the parent's instinct is there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's related. I have so many parents, mainly mothers. Mm -hmm. They'll say, I thought so when I show them the panorex that the canines are blocked out. It's not going to unblock. Transverse deficiency and retronathia, those are two phenotypes you know, class two, class three malocclusion, um, 
transverse with, you know, narrowness, deep palate. You don't need a crossbite to diagnose transverse deficiency. Um, it shows up by two or three years old and it never can self-correct. It's impossible. And that that's in the literature dating back a hundred years. I always tell parents if like an orthodontist says, wait till they're older, let the problem get more complex and then we'll try to do our best to fix it. That's really, you know, what they're saying. Right. Um, maybe not literally. Well, what if an ophthalmologist said to the parents of a a four-year-old kid who had, you know, significant nearsightedness, you know, why don't you let it get more complicated, let it get worse. And then maybe when he's driving a car, give him his first set of glasses, you'll save so much money. It'll, and, and, you know, so your kid might be neurologically damaged from not being able to see for eight years, mm-hmm. but Hey, you know, and it's a perfect analogy. I'm sorry. It is a very sound medically, medically defensible analogy. So that's what I do. And uh, it's very effective. You get parents on board, you're home free. Mm -hmm. If the parents can see that this is in the best long-term health interest, short-term and long-term health interest of their child, oh, they're going to get on board. And, you know. Absolutely. Now, do you find that, is it uncommon that you're using more than one expander? So I guess what I'm saying is if you have a child in an expander, you expand them the amount that appliance would allow, you would put them in a second expander, correct? Don't have to do that. It's called re-zeroing, okay? Oh, so interesting. Okay. If I've got a four-year-old and my go-to appliance is either a fixed Hyrax appliance with cat wires, you know, cat wires sit behind the front teeth, the front baby teeth from mm-hmm. canine to canine. Um, and it's open. There's, and, and, and if it's a hyrax, the kid can still get their, the tip of their tongue on the spot mm-hmm. right behind those cat wires. Um, if it's an acrylic appliance, whether it's fixed or removable, I use a BioBlock stage one as my go-to appliance that has no acrylic covering the spot from canine to canine. And there's cat wires there that help push on the front teeth. While you're, while you're widening, you're pushing, you know, the front teeth forward. Um, I also put face mask hooks for reverse pull face masks on every single kid, whether they're class one, two, or three, because most kids don't have enough anterior tongue space. And that's, this gives me that little extra, even if they're not in an anterior crossbite, class three underbite, mm-hmm. you don't need that to put a kid in a face mask any more than you need a posterior crossbite to justify widening them with a palate expander. Now, what would be, I guess, what? how am I trying to get to the, how I want you to answer this? So I guess I'm thinking more because I get a lot of, you know, hygienists, myofunctional therapists reaching out to me that are working with, you know, traditional orthodontists and they know that this child needs needs more expansion or maybe they addressed that transverse you know, discrepancy, but haven't really addressed that AP growth. Um, What is like, how do you, are you just looking at the tongue space? Like, can the tongue fit up there? Like, what are you using to diagnose that? You you just answered your own question. All right. And, And what you do is you stay out of the orthodontist lane. Okay. They get very, very sensitive when somebody says you're not expanding enough. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. That's like telling a physician, you know what, your, your 
you're putting your stethoscope in the wrong place or, you know, it just, that's how they see it. Even though technically you're correct in saying there isn't enough expansion. What you say is, you know what? Thank you. You've done a beautiful job with your expansion, but I need a little more space for his tongue. Could you please just do a little bit more? You just got to play the game because it says you, you're orthodontist and pediatric dentist, um, Family dentists that we now call primary care dentists, PCDs, um, th- they don't learn about myo. And, and I thought, you know, just I wasn't always this way. So I try not to be judgmental. I've, I've been brought along the myofunctional um, highway by guys like, you know, people like you and, and Joy Muller. And uh, just I've been so fortunate to be surrounded in Chicago by so many um, Kristen Miller is a SLP, uh, myofunctional therapist who is absolutely, she, she taught me almost everything about 10 years ago when she was seeing kids in my office. Um, so I just sort of, this has got to penetrate the dental curriculum. This has to be taught in undergraduate dental school, dental hygiene programs, pediatric mm-hmm. dentistry residencies, orthodontic residencies. Uh, it's just GPR residency. It's just, it's not. It's undertaught. So you're going to have to, you know, you guys with your two organizations, right? There's the IAOM and uh, um, AAMS. What? They got to get on the same page. Yep. Literally, they For just sure. have to get on the same page. Um, until that happens, you know. Now, how? Ooh, my computer almost just fell. How do you? So, okay, in a typical orthodontic practice. Do you find that, so we're seeing these patients that we don't feel have been expanded enough. What are they, how do, what are, what are their parameters for how much to expand? Is it like every office has a protocol, you expand eight millimeters, 10 millimeters, no matter who the patient is, okay. like what are, what are they using? Yeah. The orthodontic paradigm mindset is that posterior crossbite is synonymous with transverse deficiency. And that's just not accurate. You do not, if you have a dental crossbite, you know, the molars are underbiting them, but you know, on the back, um, and that the, the lower jaw shifting to the side of the crossbite that, you know, always happens. Um, you can get, you know, one kind of dial not growing as long as the other one. Right. And oh, that's pretty severe. That, that's transverse sufficiency. And they just get them on a crossbite. Mm-hmm. That's still not enough. You don't need a crossbite as a prerequisite to expand a kid who's skeletally transverse. It doesn't have enough width and usually not enough length for their tongue. That is the criteria that I use. And I measure something called the Bogue index. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's measuring across the palate, starting at age three or four, um, at the gingival margin of the, you know, the palatal cusp of the, the primary second, upper primary second molar, you should have 24 millimeters plus the child's age. By three or four years old, you want to be 28, 27, 28 millimeters. Okay. And if you aren't, you're already transverse deficient and it will not get better. It will not self-correct. You get very, very little growth after age six uh, on these kids in the transverse dimension. And that's in the literature. And that's from, um, you know, 
Dr. Moyers, Robert Moyers, back in the 60s and 70s. He wrote Handbook of Orthodontics, and I learned a lot from, uh, I knew him personally uh, at, I, you know, University of Iowa. I used to house sit for his brother and just <laughs> talk to him on the phone. You do not get transverse development skeletally after six years old. It's done. Okay. You get at the apical base. Now we have two parts of bone. We have the alveolar base, the alveolus or the roots are, you know, of the baby teeth are in there. The follicles of the permanent teeth are in apical basal bone. That's a, it's more densely packed cancellous bone. And that is something that you can influence. If you start expanding them at three, four, five years old, you can actually affect the apical base, all right? But uh, the alveolus is something completely different um, that you obviously need to write that um, and get it into that algorithm. And 24 plus 4 is an index. Uh, 24 plus their age is an index. It's not diagnostic, like body mass index, index finger. It points to something, but it's not diagnostic. I use other things. You know, a deep palate, all right? That palate's not deep, all right? It's an optical illusion. You've got the, the posterior buccal segments are coming in, and it looks deep because they're transverse deficient. What we call a deep palate is actually pathognomonic. It, it indicates that this is a transverse deficient child, okay? And when you widen it, it doesn't look as deep, but you're not really getting a palate that's up in the nasal cavity now starting to come down. That isn't what happens. That, that might happen in some certain um, anomalous cases, but not not routinely. That isn't what happens. So Now, when you're using the reverse pull headgear, is yes. that um, bringing both the maxilla and mandible forward, or is it working more on the maxilla? Well, it's working solely on the maxilla, but you sometimes will get uh, a, a coincident effect, like if the, you know, depending on myofunctional, you know, if the kid doesn't have OMD, uh, you know, orofacial myofunctional disorders, if the tongue is going up and supporting the maxilla as it's being pulled forward, the tongue can be pushing it forward and up if the tongue is up and forward. And the mandible will either stop getting more retronathic, and it might even start coming forward a little bit. Dr. McNamara from Michigan calls it spontaneous class two correction. Um, and that's usually when you um, inadvertently or deliberately correct, you you create a Brody bite or, a you know, starting to go into reverse crossbite, you know, where the upper palatal cusps are actually starting to touch the lower buccal cusp. Um, okay. And, and, but, McNamara says that acts like a functional appliance. The kid will, uh, and you can train them myofunctionally to start to bite into that new position of the maxilla. And that will actually help promote, but you know, more, I would never depend on that. And I would mm -hmm. never tell parents this is going to spontaneously correct because right. I often will have to put them into a functional appliance. Now, so, what kind of appliance would you use to bring the mandible forward? Um, well, there, there are, um, something I'm just learning about, um, is that they're called guides, mm -hmm. uh, or planus tracks. 
um, that that I'm really you know encouraged by. I know um, Herman Ramirez is an orthodontist in Canada who first told me about this, and I know the Vivos people are are using guides, and I'm I'm not really part of that group um, yet. I might at some point look at it, but um, so that's one thing that is on the horizon for me, but. I'm now using um, what I call a bioblock stage three, but that isn't something that you can just, you know, you have to be trained on it. It's very complex. And so I don't recommend that people send, you know, models to a lab and have them make a bioblock stage three because you really have to, the technique is very um, challenging and, and some kids don't do well with it. But I also use an orthopedic corrector, a binator, uh, in older non-compliant kids, especially teenage boys or preteen boys, I'll use a herbs to plant. Okay. So you can put face masks on it so you don't get the, as much of a headgear effect on the maxilla. I usually wouldn't go to something like that unless I really brought the uh, maxilla forward so that it could, it could stand. Even if there is a headgear effect, it won't be too damaging. Uh, but. It now, happens. you know, you had said, m- mentioned before how you're using that reverse pull um, headgear a lot on that younger population. And I think that people would just assume that that age group isn't going to handle it well. Um, can you talk a little bit on how that how that's been in your practice with those kids? Is it something that takes them a while to get used to? Um, do you have a lot of noncompliance with it? Yeah, so great, great. Um, I love this question. Because it, it it enables me to um, teach a very important lesson, and this is actually what I'm going to be talking about at the ADA meeting in July. Mm-hmm. Is that um, there's an orthodontic textbook that's sort of um, a sacred text in orthodontics by Dr. McNamara from Michigan, um, and he's been a you know a huge influence on me. But in the beginning of um, at least. The, an earlier edition, I haven't checked in the latest if he's still saying this, but he said, um, you know, uh, with reference to treating in the primary dentition, we, he says, you know, we usually don't even, you know, implying that, you know, the, the, the malocclusion is there and it's not going to get better. Um, and he's published on that as well, that, you know, class two malocclusion, retronathia uh, and transverse deficiency will never self-correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, a dental crossbite might, but, you know, not the skeletal transverse or sagittal. Well, he says many, in, in most cases, uh, a, a four or five-year-old is just not capable of understanding the importance of being compliant. Well, you know what? What if a four or five-year-old just wasn't capable of understanding why it's not a good idea to cross the street against a red light when traffic is is going by? Mm-hmm. They don't have to understand that. The parents need to understand it mm-hmm. and the kid will do it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Either by, you know, by will or, or, you know, I'm just going to hold your hand. I'm just not going to let you do that. But um, it's the same thing. If a child has a non-self-correcting disruption in the development of what we call the craniofacial respiratory complex or maldevelopment of mm-hmm. the upper and or lower jaws, it really isn't all that important that they understand how important it is to fix it. Right. If you get the parents on board, 
and you show the parents what can happen when a child does not have adequate tongue space, when a child does habitually breathe through the mouth instead of the nose, um, you, then it's like, hello. And then what I tell parents is, don't get mad at Billy if he won't do it. Only show happiness when he is doing what you want to do. Kids are hardwired to assimilate the adult culture. This is known by anthropologists for decades. People who have embedded themselves living with uh, Inuits, what we used to call Eskimos, but you know, traditionally living people over the last 100,000 years haven't really changed much. There's not many of them left. Um, but places in, in the, the Amazon, places in Africa, uh, certainly, um, in, in remote areas of, you know, New Zealand. And there, there are Aboriginal people that just still are living traditionally. And the kids, uh, a really good book to read on this is called Free to Learn. Um, and, and it's by a guy named Peter Gray. And another book is, Hunt, gather, parent. You know, hunt, comma, gather, parent. I like that title. Comma, hunt, gather, parent. And they all agree that traditionally living people don't give their kids timeouts. Mm -hmm. They don't do corporal punishment. Mm -hmm. They do very little disciplining. They let the kids play and raise each other. They have very minimally supervised play, outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds crazy. And, you know, in the inner city in Chicago and yeah, of course you got to rethink some of this stuff because right. of gun violence and things like that. But when it comes to applying it to how I practice two things that parents always hear myofuncial therapy evaluation is going to be part of this. Um, because I don't bill for it. Um, and I don't charge for it. I can't demand that they do it, but I give strong encouragement and I have so many competent, qualified myofunctional therapists at all ages, not just above four years old, mm-hmm. but at all ages. I even have one that comes to my office, uh, two of them that come to my office um, twice a week now. So um, I, I really, I want myofunctional support and I also want the parents to know that their child is hardwired to want to do what they want them to do. Mm-hmm. So it really, my focus is really getting the parents to understand the medical defensibility, the scientific support uh, behind this whole protocol of uh, intervening. I say begin the fix before age six. Yep. Uh, and that's, you know, and it's, it's catching on, Brittany. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm really busy. <laughs> yeah. And I love what I do. I just, I have never been happier being a dentist because I don't drill teeth anymore. Yeah. Uh, and now everybody can learn Dr. Boyd's techniques through Airway Health Solutions. He's teaching his techniques through a hands-on course, which is really awesome and exciting. Um, and we have a couple providers in our area that have taken your courses. So little by little, we're making little clones of you. They won't exactly be you, but they're close enough if we can't get you from Chicago. Um but let's talk, let's talk a little bit about tongue tie. Now I know everybody's protocols on tongue tie are different in regards to like when to release it. Do you release it before expansion, after expansion? Um, what and you might not have a typical protocol, it might depend patient by patient, but can you talk a little bit on where you kind of fall in that? Well, I'm of the mind, the strict mind that, you know, if you don't treat it, 
if you're not trained and qualified and experienced at doing some procedure, you don't diagnose it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, do I diagnose um, adenotonsillar hypertrophy? Well, you know, not really. I assess risk and then I send it to the ENT, mm-hmm. not for surgery. That's not my job mm-hmm. or an evaluation. And that's between the parents and the ENT. Mm-hmm. All right. Tongue tie. Do I diagnose tongue tie? Uh-uh. Do I assess risk according to Larry Kotlow and Hasselbacher? Yes. I'm really good at risk assessment. Mm-hmm. They've taught me everything, but then I punt it to the, to the, um, surgeon, mm-hmm. um, who's going to actually do it. And it might be a pediatric dentist. It might be a, a primary care dentist. Uh, in my case, it's a periodontist. It's Milt Gavilis who was trained by Zagi and, uh, Bobby Gaheri and Larry Cotlow. He's been trained by everybody and now he has his own technique. Um, so they do the diagnosis and, and more often than not, you know, it's the myofunctional therapist who does the definitive diagnosis and then will communicate directly, you know, with the surgeon. That's how I like mind, to do. do you think that a tongue tie impacts the ability for the lower jaw to grow forward? Well, do you think it holds it back? Oh, yeah. But, but it isn't just think or believe. Those are religious terms. Um, there's scientific support. Uh, mainly from, um, the Stanford group, uh, you know, uh, Stacy Quo and, and Audrey Yoon and, and Christian Gimenol, rest in peace, um, started in, there's two great articles, um, short lingual freedom, uh, short lingual freedom, I think a phenotype that is yep. uh, indicative of, uh, risk for, for sleep apnea and then, um, maxillary hypoplasia. Uh, is another paper from the Stanford group, uh, hypoplasia, um, in not just the transverse dimension, but the sagittal dimension. Uh, so no, there, there's good evidence for that. Those are the two definitive papers. The only one I can find on lip type that has any scientific validity is from Larry Kotlow and risk for facial tooth decay. Uh, but I, I just don't think there's, there's literature that suggests that it's, inhibiting maxillary sagittal development i I don't or or maybe making it difficult for lip seal Mm -hmm. that uh, i know nipple pain is another problem for breastfeeding mothers in a lip tie but other than that i just try to stick with the science on it and uh you know it's working pretty well so far Absolutely. Um, I know that you have to go because you have some patients to get to, but is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with? Any tips, any advice, anything before we wrap things up? I would say, um, uh, uh, no offense to dads, but um, maternal instinct is going to drive this whole thing forward. If, if you get enough mothers uh, that recruit their husbands um, and just listening to their instinct about their own kid, Something ain't right, and people are telling you to wait, or maybe an ENT. Oh, yeah, you got to take the adenoids out. Um, you know what? It, it's just uh, well, you know, there's this paper from Stanford that says when you expand a kid, the adenoids tend to normalize a little bit, and the maxilla comes forward, and that nasopharyngeal airway space is not as crowded. Um, not guaranteeing it, and I'm not going against any ENT, but um. And then say, oh, that's not a tongue tie. Uh, you know, well, 
listen to your instinct and keep pursuing and 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 digging in because more and more people are being informed about these somewhat controversial issues. That that would be my parting words. Absolutely. We have I have so many moms that reach out to me on Instagram and that's the first thing I tell them is to follow their mama instinct because they they're thinking these things for a reason and to not give up and to, you know, find that right team of providers that are going to help your child get on their, you know, better trajectory of overall health. So I totally agree with that. Um, thank you, Dr. Boyd, so much for coming on. The three words I hear uh-huh. from moms, adult, yeah, female adult caregivers. I thought so. <laughs> you know, when, I, when I show them, you know, this little, you know, the front of the, the front of the airway is the face. Uh, the back of the face is the airway. When when I show them on an X-ray or just on their child's face or, you know, um, limited mobility of the tongue, I thought so. And it's just sort of like it vindicates them because they're being told or implied by other otherwise respectable, respected caregiver, uh, healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no, something's wrong. Okay, well, great. This has been a wonderful time with you, Brittany. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My Maya Why. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at hello at myctom.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology or Instagram handle CT underscore Oral Facial underscore Myology. Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.